Welcome back, everyone, to the greatest edition of the Infertility Feelings podcast because it's just me by myself. Jesse's not here, but I am joined by the wonderful Kyle McGrath. Kyle, can I say your last name? I just said it live, but is that okay? I mean, you you just said it's better without Jesse on here, so you're a dead man walking regardless. <laughs> Welcome back to the Infertility Feelings Podcast, your place to process, cry, and laugh about infertility. We are so happy to have you here, and we really hope you enjoy today's conversation. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us to talk about male factor infertility. This is a huge topic, and I just want to begin by saying thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. I super excited to be here. You know, it's it's something that uh, that's meaningful to me and I, I think hopefully will be important for others as well. Absolutely. Um, okay. So we're just going to jump straight into this topic, right? Um, we're going to, but first, before even we talk about male factor infertility, we're just going to talk about infertility in general. Um, and what I would love to know, I think a good jumping off point for both of us would be what what was your experience or just understanding of the idea of infertility before you ever started to try to have kids, try to grow your family? Like, did you think about that there were people who couldn't have kids when you were in like, you know, your teens, twenties at all? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm sure I knew the word infertility, but right. growing up in a family where my dad was one of nine, my mom was one of four, I'm one of four. I have mm. eight nieces and nephews. We have to rent halls for Christmas parties because there are so many kids. <laughs> um, infertility did not exist in, in my mind growing up. No. Yeah, me neither. I don't think I ever even really considered the fact that that, that could... Well, I guess I knew that, I guess, hypothetically, that happens to some people, but it, I never thought it would be like that for me. I thought if you have sex one time, like that equals a child, right? Yeah, and I mean, it, it it if you have sex, you will have a kid or get an STD and die. That's right. that's what I learned growing up. <laughs> that was the sex education when we were growing up. Um, okay, so you brought up probably a really interesting topic. One of you said your 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 family's big, right? You're like renting out halls for Christmas parties. That's a different experience. Um, take take me into like, um. What was your idea of family then when you were like, when you were thinking about growing your family, were you thinking, boom, this is going to be easy, big family? Um, so no, I, I never really wanted a big family, probably from being in a big family. Um, so to me, it, it was a given and it kind of was a choice of you have as many kids as you want and, and you can stop and do things to, to not have kids yeah. or, you know, you just try and, and kids happen. Um, so for me, I mean, growing up, it, it was a big family was not weird. Um, but there wasn't anything that said, Oh, you know, this is impossible to do, or you had to have it. It was kind of just there. Yeah. I like the idea of choice. You said like, it's like, you just choose however many you want. Right. There was no, like, we're going to try to have kids. It was just like, well, how many do you want? Because, you know, my dad had nine, I was one of four, you know, you just almost like pick the number, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's really interesting. Okay. So we're coming at it from these kind of like outside looking in standpoints, right? We're not like, we're not embracing it before we even really are in it. 
So then, okay, so the question then goes, take take me in a little bit to the experience of what it was like for you to discover, okay, we're dealing with infertility, and then specifically take me into that season of figuring out what male infertility was and how it was affecting you. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, so fast forwarding through a a lot of kind of uh, relationship and marriage stuff, but you know, you got to the point where you decided again that you're going to have children. Um, And so we, we started our, our process of, you know, stopping birth control, checking to make sure that the timing was right. And, uh, really enjoying the process. Um, and I I just remember, you know, after the first month being a little surprised, like, I can't believe we are pregnant. I thought it it just happens right away. Um, and so we started going and hitting one month, three months, four months. Um, and both my wife and I just sitting there going, Oh, this is, this is interesting. Um, and just watching her get, you know, progressively more upset or frustrated or, you know, trying to figure out and get a grasp on, on what's happening. And the whole time I'm sitting there going, you know, either it's going to happen, it'll work, or there's something that, you know, maybe we need some meds. Um, we just got to hit the one year mark and then we'll, we'll figure it out from there. Um, and I remember just casually always saying, you know, it could be me, it could be me. Um, mm. but I, it, between you and I, I, I probably never believed that it was me again, right. big family, lots of nieces and nephews. It's it like was a kind of just ethical, right? It could be me, but you weren't thinking, wow, okay, I need to get checked because I'm thinking that it is. Yeah, no, it didn't even cross my mind. Um, and honestly, I waited for them to tell me to get checked. I, it didn't phase me that I should go push to, to get checked. It was just, okay, we're, we're checking the boxes and yeah once they tell me it's my turn, we'll, we'll go get that looked at and then we'll have unexplained infertility and and try some Clomid and and go from there. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of what you were anticipating. Yeah. So we actually had a prescription, um, from, from my wife's OB and she said, have Kyle go to get his test. If it comes back normal, you can start the Clomid and we'll go from there. And so I, I went to my test um, wow. waited to get the results and thought, oh, we'd just start the meds right, right. Once we get the all clear. Wow. Okay. So take me into what you were feeling at this point, right? Obviously anyone who's tried for a year and is now at, you know, an OB or just trying to figure it out is stressed, is anxious, is kind of grieving that this is that, that they are where they're at. Um, but for you, what did it feel like for you? Um, Again, for me, I was kind of checked out uh, the at the time. It was mainly how do I make my wife, you know, feel more comfortable or feel less upset about the situation. Um, how do I, you know, constantly reaffirm her that this is people go through this all the time. This isn't, you know, yeah. unheard of. Uh, infertility rates are rising. There's plenty of people we know who've struggled. Um, you know, we'll we'll find out. Um, and so I go into the, the doctor's appointment, um, and it's super uncomfortable. Um, yeah. you're, you're sitting there in this room and they tell you to drop your pants and they start <laughs> feeling all around. Yeah. Um, and the first kind of concern I had was, uh, the, the doctor looks at me and goes, huh, you have a, a varicocele mm. and I'm 
sitting there going, I think I know what that is. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? And he's You're like, like can well, you, I, can you see it? I, I mean, what's going on? <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you this. He wasn't looking. He was, he was using a different part of his body. So I, uh, I was like, oh, okay. I wonder what that feels like. Um, and so he, he mentioned that and I paused and said, what does that mean? Where, what do we do from there? And he goes, well, you know, a lot of guys have it. 80% of the time it doesn't do anything, mm-hmm. but you know, it's something for us to consider once we get your, your samples back, we'll, we'll figure out from there. Um, and I was like, okay, I will walk out of the office, get my little cup, my little, my little goodie bag, yeah, uh, yeah, for, yeah. for the next, uh, steps and kind of didn't think about it again. Just yeah. ha- how do I, how do I go through this process? Um, and that was my kind of first experience, just, Let's check the box so we can move on to the next thing. I had took the same test, did the same thing. Um, the the last thing on earth I thought there would be would be an issue with my sperm. I didn't just didn't even think it was possible. I didn't even know there were more than one issue. I just thought like, what are they even testing for? Count? I guess I guess I thought it was count, right? Like that's all I had really gone to in my head. Is that kind of where you were at? Yeah, I mean. I I think it's hard to grasp because if you've heard anything about sperm, it's, it's millions, millions of these little swimmers as everyone always calls them. Right. Um, and so I'm sitting there going, how bad could this be? Like for it to be me, this has to be a a huge problem. So Yeah. yeah, I definitely think it was, it was never crossing my mind that I was, um, a part of the issue. Yeah. Okay. So how did you find out? So, um, we, I, I still remember this. I was upstairs getting ready for work and I had a telephone appointment with my, my doctor. Um, and so I walked downstairs and, and my phone rings and I'm, I sit down at the kitchen table and the, the doctor hops on and after confirming it's me, he just drops right into it. Low motility, uh, low count, um, bad morphology, uh, I forget what the fourth one is, but that one was okay. I, I was only three for three out of four. Um, but his comment was, your count is so low that the only option you have is IVF and not only an IVF, but ICSI. Yeah. Um, and I'm sitting there just shell-shocked trying right. to process like, okay, we have an answer. It's me. Um what does this mean? How do we go forward? Uh, what do you mean the only options IVF? Um, that's so much information to be thrown at you at the same time. And, and trying to remember, Oh, he said this thing about a varicocele. Like, what do we talk about that is, and hearing, you know, surgery is a potential option. Um, which he, he quickly shut off and basically said, I don't think that will, fix anything. Um, you know, we could go down that pathway, but there's really no point. Um, so it was, it was a lot. And, uh, I'm kind of just sitting there. I hang up and Raina kind of comes around the corner and I just look at her and I was like, well, it's me. I I told you it could be me. So she wasn't on the call. This was, you were finding out this by yourself. Yeah. I was, I was just on, uh, on the phone by myself. Yeah. So, you used the word shock. Did you really feel like it was 
traumatic, like almost like a traumatic moment of hearing this and just getting hit with it at the same time. Yeah, it was, there was a little bit of relief knowing an answer um, because everything with, with my wife uh, had tested clear. There was, there was literally no answer. Um, If we had, if, if the sperm analysis came back fine, we were going to move on to Clomid with, you know, um, uh, unknown infertility or, or, uh, unexplained, unexplained infertility. Yeah. Um, and so getting that answer, there was a little bit of relief of like, okay. Um, ironically, I, I think this was a, uh, a, a smack to the face. My wife and I had originally said we would never do IVF. Um, and so to get an answer of your only option is IVF, um, that was, that was also a lot of what added to the shock. Which is so like infertility, right? To find the one thing that you had talked about before and said, well, we probably wouldn't do this. And then to give that to you as your only option, it just feels so cruel, you know? Yeah. Um, we, we've decided we're not going to say anything anymore because, uh, that was, that was one example. Um, but the other funniest example is when my, my wife first met my family, um, we were at a a family reunion. One of those things where we had to rent big halls and there's tons of kids running around. Um, and my mom said to my, my girlfriend at the time, haha, we're a very fertile family. Um, so I remember telling right. my, I remember when I told my parents, I was like, well, mom, little did you know, I, uh, <laughs> I, I proved you wrong. Infertility is so shocking to anyone who discovers that they're in it, right? There is an element, I think at times of feeling like, finally, I have relief. I know what this is that's plaguing me, but it still hits you out of the blue. And I do think going back to what we were talking about earlier, that for us, maybe as guys, we're thinking like, let's get this out of the way. Like, it could be me, but I don't think it is. And then when you get hit with, well, well, a lot of the issues do fall right here. um, That really is so shocking. And then we're not even thinking anything, right? We're just like, what? And our brains are just exploded. Take me into like week three or four after this news. How are you like what what emotionally is going on? Yeah, I I I don't know about you, Doug, but for for me, I am driven and motivated by uh, moving forward and, mm-hmm. and by achieving, accomplishing things. So this was a smack in the face of I can't accomplish the most basic task of my biological being. Yeah, um, that was simultaneously like pain and just the ultimate failure yeah. uh, growing up if you had asked me what my greatest fear was one of them was a fear of failure and this was yeah. i literally can't do the the one act one task i'm supposed to do yeah um but the the flip side the other kind of part of who i am is i i want to take care of people i want to help them i want to give them what they want and, and meet their needs and so I had this split of not really being able to deal with my own anxiety or fear or just sadness over over this situation because I was so focused on how do I make the woman who chose me happy when I can't give her a child. It's my 
fault. Um, and she's about to go through a tremendous amount of hormones and testing and all of these activities that I literally can't do. And, you know, at this point, we st it's still only me that's the, the issue. And so it's literally only because of me that she's having to go through this. So it was, how do I make her feel better? And how do I just not pay attention to this? I'm failing. Um, so I, it took a long time I, for me to ever actually process. I, I mean, yeah. what what was that like for, for you? Does that resonate Absolutely. at all? Or? Absolutely. There's like, uh, I was the, you know, it's like, okay, all of a sudden you, the Titanic hits the iceberg, right? And you're like, women and children first. And you're thinking about like, how can I do anything to help you? Um, how do I, how do I help our future family if we're ever going to have that? And how do I like help everyone else get on a lifeboat? And then if and only if maybe there's room at the end, I'll jump on one. But I was like, I was almost like um, resolved to the fact that I'll just go down with the ship, you know. And I really put my own feelings and needs last. So it, fantastic it did, analogy. It took me a long time. I would say, like, right. If you go back yeah. to the movie, I'm like, isn't it like Jack on the end of the boat? He's like literally the last person that goes in the water. That was like, I felt like emotionally sometimes like that was me. I didn't want that to be me. And luckily, like a lot of things came together in my life and people um, and even within myself knowing like, I got to talk about how I'm feeling and talk about my emotions and and deal with this. And, and, and I did and still am and always kind of processing that as I go. But it did definitely feel like I wanted to first, okay, I'll categorize it for you. First, I wanted to solve the problem, right? This, this whole thing sucks, but if we can get pregnant, that would be great. You know, Step one. Step one. How so, do I fix this? How do I fix this? How do I solve the problem? Second is how do I make sure this doesn't ruin Jesse's life? So how can I keep her, help her be any type of happy throughout yep. this process? That was step two. And then, and then at the very end was, how do I not make this take too long? That was like also a huge part of it was, how do we get pregnant? How do I help Jesse? How do I make sure this doesn't last for 10 years? And then at the very end, after those things, it was like, how am I doing? That was like really how I, all I thought. I was like, how am I feeling about this? And then I gave some answer of like, I'm doing okay. Just want to make sure that all these things, you know. So it was, it's difficult. Like those feelings are buried deep in there, you know. Yeah, I'm spot on. My my first reaction to everything is, how do I fix it? How do I help this person? How do I make it better? Um, you know, step two is, okay, how do we solve the problem and, and get moving forward? Yeah. You know, luckily, I'm very blessed that my insurance has some coverage, but Raina wasn't on my insurance at the mm -hmm. time. So I mm -hmm. had to move her in an off cycle. Uh, we had some other stuff going on. And so just figuring out, okay, you know, it says I need to do IUIs, but the urologist told me that I have to go to IVF. So what's right. that process going to be like? And right. here's this. And I'll be honest, you know, figuring out me and, and how I was feeling never even remotely like popped up a, a flag. Um, yeah. Shameless plug alert. Until I did your process group through Uniquely Knitted, I didn't even realize I needed to process my yeah. emotions. Well, that's good. I mean, that's, I mean, I think any type of process it, processing group is good. Obviously I think we have a great one. Um, 
But I, I think there is a level of like, unless you're confronted with the fact that we do have feelings that are a, about this and that dealing with them is really an important part of the process. It's hard for us to even think of it as something that we need to do. If anyone's listening to this, like if, if you're like a, if someone listening to this and you're, and you're this type of personality where you're like, just go, go, go get it done, get it done. Start to think about the fact that processing it and dealing with the emotions is part of the going, going, going and getting things done. Like don't, you know, that's not an extra thing at the very end that, well, if you get everything figured out, then you can do it. It's, it's a huge part of the process. Do you feel like that's been true with the more that you kind of deal with the emotional side of things and process it, it's helped you in, in your relationship and dealing with the whole thing? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I think there's this interesting situation in the, the infertility space where guys shake off the, the issue um, they'll make jokes about being the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll, you know, say whatever they need to say. And, and there's a lot of attention that goes to the, the, the woman, um, mm-hmm. and rightfully so they, they do have to go through a lot. And I think culture and society puts a whole different weight on, on women. Yeah. Um, but you're kind of like relegated to the side and I'm, and I'm not sure if that's, totally through our own doing or if we start pushing down our feelings because we get relegated to the side and there's no one kind of asking about it i I, we're in the middle of our uh second transfer and we're sitting in the room and then the nurse asked my wife if she wanted a water bottle and then she looked at me and said do you want one do you want a water bottle um and I'll be honest, that's the first time anyone actually <laughs> addressed me. And I, wow, I yeah. in my typical self-deprecating way, was like, no, no, no. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm not the important one here. So the, right, the right. nurse walks out and she comes back and hands me a water bottle. Um, and I legit, like, started tearing up. Like, yeah. that's the first time throughout this whole process that someone kind of reached out to me. Um, Absolutely. In, in, in the, that setting. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It, it's, are we, do we disappear into the background because that's kind of how we're treated from society or just from the people who are treating infertility? Do we disappear into the background because we are uncomfortable with dealing with our feelings? Um, it's probably a combination of both, right? Like yep. we got to do both and, you know, um, embrace the fact that there are, you know, there's partners going through infertility, there's men going through infertility, all these sorts of things that we have to embrace. There's sperm issues, there's two sides to each um, situation, and we need to really embrace everyone in the room. At the same time, the people who are going through it need to always advocate for how they're feeling and communicate what's going on. I think that's totally true. I have a question for you. Um, uh, infertility being a taboo topic, right? Uh, society doesn't love to talk about infertility. If they do, it's, um, normally quick uh, and kitschy and like, oh, this, this one thing causes infertility and it kind of pops up in the news then disappears. They're not generally talking about the fact that one in eight couples trying to get pregnant are struggling. The, the idea of it isn't just out there that much. So it's already a taboo topic. And then we've found in doing this podcast and all the work that we've done, there are taboo topics even within infertility, right? 
Um, and I think male factor infertility is one of those things. So it kind of goes back into what you were just saying. Why, why do you think, and we could figure this out together on the podcast. So for the whole world to find out at the same time as us, why do, why do we think that male factor infertility is a taboo topic, even within the taboo topic of infertility? I, I think it's, I think it's a personality kind of driven approach. I think guys either don't want to put themselves into the light because again, we're not the one that's going to have to deal with this and Mm -hmm. guys aren't supposed to care about having the children. It's not, not biological clock ticking. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's nothing saying, you know, you, you have to, uh, hit some certain time before you can have kids. I, I, I feel like that's one piece of it. Yeah. Um, and then it's a, it's a vulnerability thing. Um, I don't know. I think being vulnerable and feeling like you're not a man, um, which male factor and fertility plays a huge factor into that. Um, you know, gender, uh, gender aside, it, yeah. it's, it's just out there. Um, and so you don't want to talk about it. So you either make a joke, you don't bring it up. I mean, even when we first started opening up about struggling with infertility, which we really don't open up about, we, we really didn't tell anyone what was causing it. And that was my request. Um, so I, I think we kind of funnel ourselves into that taboo setting of, we don't want to feel inadequate. We don't want to be the problem because we're not the one who's dealing with it. At least that's what it feels like in my situation. I totally agree. I, I, I'm on the same page as you. Uh, there's, it's a whole sandwich of, of issues. I think that comes up, right? There's underlying societal narratives that we buy into for better or for worse, whether they're true or not. It, we're kind of you know, brought up within them of like, um, problems, these like problem solving guys who just have this one job, even the, like the, the joke of like, well, I only have one job in this whole thing and making a baby. And like, I only, I, I did my job and stuff like that. It's really like, you've narrowed the, the male sexual part of, of procreating down to like literally this like one act, you know? And then all of a sudden, when the issue lies within that one act, it just brings out this this sense of, I think, a guilt and probably shame, a little bit of, of both of those things when you're like, well, okay, that's actually, you know, that's the thing that I'm struggle with is that. And it we had no, no, we didn't do anything to bring that about. It's just true about us, right? It's almost like an illness or a disease, right, that we're struggling with, but it's still shameful. We still feel guilt about it. Um, and it's, it's hard to come out and be like, yeah, that's me. Because I don't think, again, we've embraced the topic at all because, because it's surrounding, it's got guilt and shame surrounded with it. I can, I can 100% relate with that. And, and I have an interesting story that now I'm realizing probably cemented my shame, which forced me to push it down even further. So after after I found out, after I got my diagnosis, uh, that next weekend, so three to four days later, I was going on a bachelor party. Um, and I thought, what a great way to get away. I'm not going to think about this. Like, I'm just going to 
go to the the bachelor party. I was the best man, so I was I was hosting it and in charge of everything and I was like I'm just going to ignore this. I can't tell you how many times people talked about being a dad, having kids. Uh at one point somebody said how much they eat, you know, free-range eggs and good organic food cuz you got to get the the sperm to be the highest quality possible while you're trying. And I'm sitting there just like what? I did not expect this at all. And then I'm sitting there going, I can't break down. Like they they will all view me poorly that I just found out about this. I can't, uh, you know, confide in anyone that this is happening. Oh my gosh, did I eat inappropriate food? Should I have been eating organic eggs? Is this something I could have prevented? Why am I the only one going through this? And it's spiraling on a bachelor party. I don't think anyone would expect that after they're told they have infertility. Oh my gosh. I a hundred percent agree. It's this, even we even just said it, right? Like we, it's probably us just believing into this lie that, well, guys don't really talk about fertility and all that stuff. But in my experience, they do, right? If you're of the right age in the right group, everyone talks about it the whole time. And you're like, I thought we're not supposed to talk about this. I thought guys don't talk about stuff like fertility and sex and all, you know, all of a sudden, you're at the right room and it's like comes up so quickly and you're like, why, why? I thought we were just like dumb, not talking about this, talking about like anything else, sports or whatever. (laughs) And then now it keeps coming back up. And it's like one of those things that once you've experienced it, you start to see it everywhere. And it's like, gosh, everyone, everyone talks about kids. Everyone talks about birth. Everyone talks about all this kind of stuff. And it just hits you like little needles over and over and over again. And so, I mean, we found out in March and after that event, as I was starting to realize, you know, there are going to be attacks and needles left and right. uh, I started thinking forward to how many times has different friends of mine with kids asked me like, when am I going to have one of these? Or, you know, sending out Christmas cards asking, oh, do we think there's going to be a kid in this Christmas card next year? I immediately just was like yeah there's a there are people who talk about this it's not as taboo as i thought it was um and i'm open to to all of this hurt um and it became a well i'm not either i'm not going to talk about it or i'm not going to tell people that it's me that's going through this yeah um it's more of a we're struggling with infertility right Okay, so here's the question though. You're now on a podcast talking about male factor infertility and you're open about it and you're talking about the shock of it and the grief of it and all of it. What what has brought you here? How, like I think a lot of people listening to this might be like, "Well, I'm dealing with that um or I know someone dealing with that and I want to I want to be that open about it." How did you get to a place where you're so open? I think realizing that there is power given to situations when you don't talk about it. Um, I remember when we started the process of figuring out IVF, um, my wife and I having a conversation and, and being like, what do we want to share? What do we want to tell people? We're, we're pretty private individuals, not, not just about fertility, but in general, we, we don't tend to overshare a lot of things. And so I wanted to kind of start taking away power from 
IVF or, or from infertility. And so I, I started mentioning to people, yeah, we're, we're looking at IVF. I didn't go into many details. Mm-hmm. And what I saw is that people resonated. There are people yeah. who said I struggled or we had to do an IUI or I did a medicated cycle and, and never knew any of this about people. Um, and I think when you are able to talk about it, it provides healing um, for yourself and it also enables other people to share and to, to bond and realize like you're not alone. Um, there are, there are maybe someone's not going through the exact same situation, but it's not that everybody has sex and has a kid right away. Right. <laughs> right. Um, that's not always the case, especially at this age when you're just seeing like birth announcements and gender yeah. reveals all over. I love what you said that by you wanted to take away power from it. And and when you don't talk about something, it almost, you give it power. Is Was that your experience? Like the more that you locked away male factor infertility from people, did it grow more powerful, almost like more scary? I think I was less scared of it and that the shame wasn't really the the motivating. I think that plays a role and and I'm a little quicker to to kind of get over it. It's more of that initial flutter of like, yeah, is this person going to think less of me because I, you know, instead of having 15 million, I have a thousand. Like, <laughs> right, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm ridiculously low. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I, I'm able to get over that fast. I think for me, I don't want to talk about it because, again, it it almost is like putting attention on me, putting people to feel bad for me. And I want to constantly put that back toward my wife. Like she's the one going through all this. She's the one that has to take mm-hmm. shots, get hormones, um, you know, go through this whole process, be yeah. triggered by all of these other events. And if I express, Hey, this is what's happening. It, it almost feels like I'm, uh, I'm whining or complaining mm. or I'm upset and, and woe is me. Yeah. Um, and that's where I realized I can do it in a way that's not woe is me. It's just taking that power away. And I, and I think that's where my internal struggle has, has always been. Yeah. I love that. So how did you, how did you take steps towards depowering that? Cause I think I feel the same way. If I can just be honest, with my own self that, um, it was easier for me to make it like, well, we're struggling with infertility and I would paint this picture. It was really hard for me to, to just share about my own personal self and kind of how it was making me feel but the more that I did that and just kind of got um, equipped to talk about my feelings, equipped to just say, yeah, this is how I'm feeling in an, it's really hard and, but I'm doing okay. I like was able to communicate in a way. And then I felt like infertility didn't have as much control of me anymore. Like I wasn't controlled or, or worried about saying the wrong thing or, or coming across a certain way. So the more equip, equipped I got at communicating about it, the more I actually felt the power come back into me that I could be in any situation, communicate with any person um, and, and not be so afraid of it. So how did you take steps towards, and, and we're all still doing this, but how do you take steps towards just being more open about it and, and feeling like you come across in a way that you feel good about? Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll be honest, uh, you know, I am doing this podcast, but that is not the same as me going up and telling all of my friends and family um, this situation. So, right. I, so don't think I'm I'm too far advanced. Well, guess what? Um, we have them here on the line. Here they are. Oh my no. gosh! Hi, mom. Hi, dad. 
um, no, I, I, I think I'm, I will talk about it when people express that they're also going through a situation. Um, right. I don't freely give it up still. Uh, and if people ask questions, um, that I feel, you know, they don't need to know, or they have no right to, to kind of dive into those situations or they're just kind of being nosy. I, I still hold back or worse. Yeah. I, I get very petty and, and make jokes about it to make <laughs> them feel bad. Um, yeah. Yeah. but I, I don't know for me, I think it's still more of a, I will use it to relate with other people to help me process and help them process, but it's still a private situation. I mean, even, even if we didn't struggle with infertility, I don't want to talk to people about trying to make a baby or what we are experiencing or, or, or something like that. I feel like infertility has taken away that like quietness of this is what's happening because everyone wants to know, you know, what was the results of the test? Did you, how did the transfer go? What, what is your beta at? And it's like, you wouldn't know any of this until I posted some video on Facebook. (laughs) Right. Uh, right. You don't need to know this. So I, I'm still a work in progress. I, I still don't talk about it. Um, you know, I'm not standing on the rooftops shouting it. Um, but it's, it's definitely better now that I have the words, now that I have the realization of, of my feelings are important. Um, to open up and and have that discussion. And I think that's the goal for us all is that we wouldn't, you know, it's certain personality types are going to um, do what they will with this information and and, and with these skills. If you're the type of person that is like, I want to jump out and be an advocate for male factor infertility, then you're, of course, that's probably really tied to your personality. Um, But I think what we would both say, like for, for you and I, is that we wouldn't want anyone to be controlled by their story of infertility, feeling like they're almost trapped behind it, that they have to constantly go everywhere in protection of it. And if somebody finds out, then that's horrible news. You want a level of freedom with what you've been through that you can be a free human being, right? A free person that is able to express what they've gone through, how they feel about things in, in, the, in a way that makes you feel like you're in tune still with your personality, right? A more introverted person is going to still be more introverted. More extroverted person will will be that but it's but if you begin to feel trapped i think that's where you get a little bit of that isolation would you agree that maybe even before some of this work that you've done was there a level of a sort of feeling isolated behind that wall of infertility yeah um definitely isolation is the i think the killer and it's something that that my wife and i talk about a lot is is this you know the isolation of feeling like you are the rarity. We know the facts, we know the statistics, but again, when no one, when, when it's, it's most often that people aren't struggling with it, um, it's harder to feel accepted and that you have someone to talk to. Um, and I think that isolation played a big factor for me, um, when I went through Uniquely Knitted's process group, one of the things that 
was important that's been a big growth for me was around boundaries. Yeah. Um, so like I said, I perpetually am trying to figure out how do I how do I make my wife feel better about this situation? How do I make sure that she's cared for? How do I be everything for her? Um, because I have no right not to be. I, I'm putting her in this situation. I have to do whatever I can to make it better. Um, and every time she got upset or angry about something, somebody, you know, announcing they're pregnant or us having to go to another appointment and just saying, you know, life isn't fair, this is terrible, or why is this happening to us? Um, it was this knife just going into me. Mm. Um, and of course, I couldn't tell her that because I had to take all of it. I, I, I had to be there for her, be the support because she's allowed to have these feelings. She's allowed to feel this way. Um, and that right there was isolating because I didn't feel like I could tell her, you know, Hey, this is how I'm feeling. I, I'm not saying you can't feel this way. I'm not saying you can't say these things, but I just need you to know what it's like for me. Um, and being able to talk about that and open up, um, it was freeing. It, it yeah. took away the isolation of I'm carrying all this burden of pain and hurt. And I can, I can let her know that, you know, this is what I'm experiencing. And I want you to find somebody that you're able to vent because you're totally allowed to feel that way. Like, yeah. I don't want you to think you can, um, but this is what's happening to me. Um, right. And that was it. That was a, a big, reveal after one of our our (laughs) groups a a very long conversation so that is huge i think that's um that's the goal right is that you know, we're not going to be able to take away any of the pain of infertility, especially, you know, male factor infertility. We can't just make that go away or make the pain go away. But what we can, what we can do is help ourselves be seen. And in those moments, just like you said, where, you know, you know, her venting, her communicating is so good, but you know, the fact that it's really hurting you and you, and you're going through your own process is just as important. And both of those need to be brought to the table. Um, you don't have to be the one that just takes it and just feels like crap all the time. That's so good. Um, okay. Well, we're, we're here two guys, right? We're talking about male factor infertility. I bet you someone will hear this and they'll think, Oh my gosh, that is like, I know this person or my partner is struggling with male factor and they're going to send them this video. Right. Or maybe they're listening to it. And they're listening to this podcast and they're like, oh my gosh, okay, I'm in that same boat. Nobody knows. I hate talking about it. I just thought maybe we could we could uh, offer why we feel like it's been beneficial for us to communicate even just a little bit more about it, right? To talk to some safe people about how you feel, communicate even to like our wives how we feel. Um, why would why would someone do that? I'll go first. If you know, for me, it, it's that idea that. I feel more free. I feel more like a a full human. There's not this like a thing that I'm walking around that I hope doesn't get revealed. 
Um, you know, it's like the, the stress of being an international spy. That's what it felt like sometimes when it, you know, you're dealing with infertility, which I have a lot of experience with being an international spy. Uh, <laughs> huge spy career before this. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but do you know what I mean? Like, it was like, you walk into a room and you're like, nobody knows I'm a, I'm a secret agent, you know? Um, but it, sometimes I felt that way walking into a party of like, uh, I really hope nobody asks me about kids or I really hope nobody like pokes fun at me. Cause I don't know how I'm going to handle that. Or I hope nobody pokes fun at, at Jesse. I hope somebody doesn't say something to trigger Jesse. It really did feel like I have another life, another secret identity that I hope doesn't get exposed when we've found ways to be ourselves more, I felt more free. And I think that's the, the benefit that is out there for all of us, that the more we learn and equip ourselves with tools to talk about these things, we actually feel more free, which, which makes us feel better. I was so much happier being able to walk into a room and be like, yeah, um, yeah, we were never able to have kids. We have, you know, two adopted kids. And, and then they, I, I'm thinking they're going to ask me about that, but I go, I have tools. I know exactly what I would answer. I know how to do that. No, I know how to be in tune with my own personality. So it's, I've, I feel more free. Um, how about for you? I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give two, uh, two and different situations. Okay. Um, and they kind of seem opposite, but it, it, I swear they'll come together. Is one uh, of them an international spy? Cause that's what I know. We're we're gonna we're gonna switch from the spy genre to the zombie genre. Okay, perfect. Um, no, I like that. Yeah. So so on one hand, you feel like this zombie just like shuffling through situations, um, and you you don't want to talk about it because you have that's all you're thinking about all the time. That's all the conversations you and your spouse are having, uh, or your your partner is having, yeah. and it's just perpetually like going through the motions, trying to figure out what's next, following up with the next appointment. And, and I'm literally just imaging, imagining, uh, just shuffling like, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then at the same time, completely different feeling. Yeah. You're like a neurotic, uh, landmine, like sc- scouter, like yes. one of those mice that they release into the fields yes. to, to try to find the landmines. Cause you're I just like, like canary in the coal mine kind of thing you're just waiting for like yeah yeah you know? you're yeah. you're sprinting around and you're like okay uh uh th- th- there's a, a toy here like get that out of the yeah, way yeah, or like yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh great aunt mildred's over there she's gonna ask us a question like yes. avoid this room and and it's it's simultaneously just exhausting and unfulfilling so it, yeah being mm. a whole person i think that's a, a great example i would have said just feeling normal yeah. um because you know, I feel like it, it goes both ways when you're in this situation. Um, yeah. And then have, I think that's like infertility alone. Mm-hmm. I think the third piece is just this scared little, little boy. Yeah. Hoping no one notices that you uh, have your pants down or like right. your your shoes are untied or like you're you're going back to like elementary school and like oh my gosh what's going to happen where I'm going to get made fun of or or get embarrassed by this because yeah. I definitely can't let anyone know that I have the adult version of cooties totally yep yeah it's like that nobody wants to get pantsed on the playground and this is that times a million you know, when you almost lean into it a little bit and go, this is me, it's a, it, that's requires so much bravery, I think. 
so much vulnerability and bravery. Yeah, I, 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 I think it took a lot to be okay with that and to start living your life again. Um, because you, you can still be there. You can be emotional. You can be hurt. Um, you know, you can be frustrated with the next appointment, but you're, you're no longer dragging through life. You're no longer running around like you're crazy and you're no longer just sitting in the corner hoping no one notices. Yeah. This big glaring sign pointed at, at below your waist being like (laughs) broken, broken. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. So I got to ask Doug, when you first found out, did you, were you like me and you're like, huh, I wonder if when I got hit by a tennis ball in fifth grade, Mm. if that was the reason or, you know, playing all of those video games like it, my mind started going through all of the things of like well well what happened how could i have solved this <laughs> okay i've never told this story you ready for this like the i don't even think jesse knows this story oh i have, my I have locked this one deep 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 down okay um so i used to uh work at a church and this church had a steeple in it and inside of the steeple there was a telephone um radio tower thing, right? You know, you've probably seen that they put these things in, they hide them and stuff like that, but it was like radioactive. We're not, not totally radioactive. You're not supposed to go near it. You know, um, I'm totally selling us out here. Oh my gosh. My whole, everyone's going to laugh at this. My brother-in-law and I worked at the same church. And one day we were like, let's go in there. Well, let's go explore the steeple. So we climbed up in there and we like found our way into this room. And all of a sudden we were like, well, I don't think we should be in here. And you look around on the walls and all of a sudden it's like, don't be in here, you know, exposure to whatever electronic, all this stuff. And I'm like, oh no. So we, we, we totally left. And I, I for some reason, I've always like, oh, is that, did it mess with my body? Like what did it do? It was a year, like a decade ago. Right. Um, and then in the middle of the infertility, I swear to you, I don't have never told this to anyone it started to like come to me in my dreams. And I'm like, do you think I just microwaved my sperm out of existence? <laughs> and I thought about, it's funny. I, you know, you say like, did I get hit with a tennis ball? Did I, just, I went back to that moment and I'm like, I did it. This was all my fault. It's not right. That, that, that is not true, but it plagued me. And even in a way it still plagues me to this point that I haven't told anyone ever. You brought it out of me, Kyle. <laughs> Yeah, I I I don't have a story like that, but I definitely started thinking about all the times I was told not to stand in front of a microwave and yes. having your cell phone in your pocket yes. or your laptop on your lap or I I did get hit really hard by a tennis ball in high school yeah. uh to the point where I like fell on the ground and blacked out and oh and God. you immediately are just like what what happened? What caused it? Yeah. Um I, so the, the other thing that really stressed me out was, um, they, they ran two genetic tests, Mm. um, to, to see, you know, was there micro deletions or is it Kleinfelters? And and both of them came back negative. Um, and part of me was like, I wish something had happened. So there was an explanation. So I knew that it wasn't random or that it wasn't something I did, um, and I think that's one of the things that I, I constantly think about. Like, is there anything I could have changed? What What about it um, was my fault versus happenstance versus just the time in which we live? So, 
I totally agree. I think it's the thing that plagues anyone who's dealt with infertility that doesn't necessarily have a clear reason or a clear diagnosis. Even if you have a diagnosis, I think you wonder, is there something I could have d- done? Could I have done more? Was it that one stupid thing? Was it when I climbed into that radio tower and, ah, and freaked out? You know, Does it go back to something? And I think that's what the trauma of it does. It just plagues us over and over and over. That's why I think... Even if we're going, if we're doing that in our own mind and we're not communicating it to people or expressing ourselves, it can eat away at us. Um, and I'm so glad that you've you've taken steps. We've both taken steps to communicate this more. I think it's a healthy conversation that needs to happen. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us and for being on the podcast and talking about such a vulnerable subject. You have been incredibly brave. And you're an inspiration to a lot of people. I hope I hope anyone who's been touched by male factor infertility realizes that it's happened to both of us and that we're here, we're talking about it. Um, and, and even though it's changed us and it's changing our lives, you too can embrace this, this reality and live into it. Thank you so much, Kyle. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, just final words, you're, you're not alone. Uh, you're not stronger by not talking about it. Um, and you're not less uh you're not less and you're not unworthy because of it i think those are the things that i really had to to tell myself so if if anybody can hear that and and it resonate or it help um then there's my silver lining to this really crappy situation Thank you for listening to the Infertility Feelings Podcast, a show produced by the nonprofit Uniquely Knitted. This is your place to process, cry, and laugh about infertility. We are so grateful to all of our wonderful donors who support this work. If you would like to learn more about how we serve the community and support the work of Uniquely Knitted, we encourage you to check us out at uniquelyknitted.org. If you enjoy this podcast and would like more people to hear it, please give us a rating and a comment in Apple Podcasts. This is the best way for more people to hear these conversations. If you need to talk to someone about your feelings, please reach out to us. We are here to help you. If you would like to learn more about our unique process groups, please follow the link in our show notes. See you guys next week.